Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. My name is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister here at our church. This week, we're talking about chapter 14 of the story. Uh, and this is a chapter from 1 Kings chapter 12 that talks about the division that, that comes about between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, which results in Israel being split into two parts, both Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so what we really dive into is, is what does this mean to us today? It's an old story about uh, people we may not even recognize, but there are definitely some stories, some, some understandings that we can get from, uh, from reading back into part of our past, part of our story. And so uh, I hope this is beneficial to you. I, I, think, uh, I think it will be. But again, we want to thank you for tuning in and come see us sometime in person. Have a great week. Got uh, Scott tries to sabotage me, I think. Um, Bo talked about uh, communion, and uh, Bo, you're not alone in, in feeling like that at times as, as far as whether it, it's special or not. I think we've kind of um, upped our efficiency so much that we've lost a lot of meaning. Uh, we have, uh, I've gotten to experience several ways of doing uh, communion and uh, what, what, the, pe- the preacher or pastor might have said was this is the, the body of Christ broken for you as he handed uh, that to you. And I've got to ex- gotten to experience that. I've gotten to experience actually uh, how communion was done initially in, in the course of a meal. And that is much more special as uh, you're able to communicate and have a, a normal meal and how special that is just by itself. But then uh, your neighbor turns to you and actually breaks the loaf and says, this is the body of Christ, and hands you the wine and says, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you, and it is a special thing. Um, the first time I was, or I guess it was the second time, I was able to do something like that. As a part of my Lipscomb study, we uh, traveled around to different churches to see differences in how people do things, and we got to visit an Anglican church. And uh, really like the Anglicans and how they do things. And um, we got to experience, they put on a, it was in the middle of the week and they did a whole service for us. They had they had the people up there and they uh, brought the guitarist and they had people do communion and all that. They, they poured it out for us, just a small group that we had. Uh, but they had one cup as well. Now, silver uh, is supposed to uh, you're not supposed to have germs that, that stay on silver. So you you drink of the cup, they wipe it off, and it should be good. The problem for me would it was it was either Tuesday or Wednesday of the same week that we all shut down for COVID. And so I drank that thinking, I'm dead. <laughs> this is my last meal right here. And so, but it was a it was a great experience. I didn't die. I, I sorry to spoil that for you, but uh, feel alive. Uh, but such a, a special thing, and so I hope you're able to, and I hope we're able to provide some time uh, in the future where we're able to experience it in different ways. Uh, instead of uh, there's nothing wrong with our the way we do things, but I think just from uh, the way we have made it speedy, we've we've lost kind of the time to reflect and the. Uh, community. It is it is something to think about individually, but it's also very communal. It's also, this is our story. This is a part of our story. This is what has God done for me? What has God done for us, right? And so that's, uh, that's a part of what uh, communion is like. Uh, this week, now to the actual sermon. Sorry, that was all free. Um, 
But uh, this week we start chapter 14 of the story. Now, I meant to say this last week, so I'm sorry if you've had any added anxiety. If you have not been reading, you are not caught up, that is okay. Listen, listen to your preacher here. I don't want you to catch up. You understand that? I do not want you to catch up. I want you to start with this week, okay? Because what we can do in the midst of a long study like this, I had a rough week, I got behind, and then it feels like, okay, the snowball just keeps coming, right? We need to dig out, okay? So uh, don't go back and catch up. You're fine. If you want to go listen to sermons and stuff, go, go ahead and do that. Don't catch up. Just start reading uh, chapter 15 this week. And just be with us as, as we can. So um, the, the last time we talked about the story, we talked about uh, Solomon. And Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk the earth, a man who had uh, kings and queens come to visit him because of his wisdom just to sit and listen to him. And as we talked, most of us have not had that happen, right? Somebody comes to listen to me like, oh, I just want to hear John speak. I'm going to assume it's to make fun of me, <laughs> not to hear uh, just sit in my graciousness and my wisdom and my eloquence, right? But, but Solomon, was the, he had that kind of wisdom. But even with all of that wisdom, he allowed, because he went against what God said, making treaties with other nations, marrying these foreign women who had other gods. And by the way, when you're in love, you'll do a lot of things, right? <laughs> And he ends up being led astray. And so by the end of his tenure, uh, things had really gone south. It started off really well. Even his prayer for wisdom was uh, just God said, hey, because you prayed for that and not money and long life, he said, I'm going give it, to give it all to you. But all that Solomon had kind of uh, was the beginning of his undoing. And so at the end of his reign, what we see is a lot of idol worship. And that's really the beginning uh, to this chapter of the story. Uh, because Solomon had a, a man on his staff named Jeroboam, a very capable man. And it was even, uh, he was even told that he would become king of all of this. And Jeroboam was a, a man that was not, uh, he didn't want to wait around on God. You ever been there before? God, I know what I need. Why don't you give it to me right now? That would be appreciated, right? Jeroboam didn't want to wait on God, and so uh, he ended up getting crossways with Solomon, Solomon trying to kill him, and it really did not start off well. But Solomon dies, and Jeroboam says, okay, well, now is the time. And this is where our, our reading comes in today from 1 Kings 12. This is where we're at. Solomon has died What's going to happen next? Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. So Rehoboam was Solomon's son. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, again, this is a man who's been, it's been told, he has been told, you are going to be king, okay? So understand that. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. 
They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? You almost hear some sarcasm in that. They're just, right? (laughs) The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scores you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. This is going well, isn't it? Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken, fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. And again, we have a split, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. I, um, I was going through a course on kings, really. It's a divided kingdom. And I was trying out for a job. And one of the weirdest things you can do is teach class as you're trying out for a job. Because first of all, it's got to be a one-shot you got to be all-inclusive. Y'all probably sat through one of those on Wednesday when you, when you were wide-eyed and going, oh, my goodness, that was a lot, right? And so you got to figure out what to do. And so I thought, well, I've got a class on this. I really enjoy it. It's not something we do a lot. And so it'll be kind of new to people. And so I read this section of Scripture, and I had an elder who was older in the congregation. He, said, he raised his hand. I said, yes, sir. And he said, why don't you just get to the point? You knew that was going to go well after that, right? And we're best friends to this day. No. I said, I said yes, sir. He said, uh, why don't you get to the point? He said, you want us to let you come, come in here and take over this place. I don't know how you respond to that. But I probably, uh, you know, responded with one of my dumb, open-eyed faces. Uh, what do you mean, sir? And so that began what I knew was not going to be a stint at that congregation, okay? (laughs) We had driven from, from, uh, uh, well, Harding, from Searcy, Arkansas, Central Arkansas, all the way down to somewhere around the woodlands, we'll just say that, with two kids who had head colds. And John could have walked out after that class and not even preached a sermon and felt fine about it, going back. 
But there is a lot to, to understand here, okay? Uh, there, there's a lot going on. Jeroboam, has, he's had a prophet tell him he's supposed to be king, and so he's trying to figure that out. When is this going to happen? He's eager. He's, he's really chomping at the bit to make it happen. Uh, and, and then he, he becomes a part of this whole thing with Rehoboam, where Rehoboam is Solomon's son and, of course, is supposed to take over in this way. But as Rehoboam is advised, the, the older people tell him, you need to become a servant to these people. And what did Rehoboam's younger buddies say? You know what? I, I'm thinking in the back of their minds, they're thinking, we need to make a name for ourselves. You thought you had it bad then, it's going to get worse. And so he takes this terrible advice, which, which God says here in Scripture that this was from the Lord, that he decides to do this because Solomon had, remember, Solomon had gone into idolatry and God had told him, this is going to be taken from you. This is going to be split up. And so what we end up with, again, is Israel in the north and uh, Judah in the south. Uh, verses 25 through 30, Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up uh, Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. So his fear, he, he's almost paranoid. So he's got all of these tribes with him, but he's still paranoid about what's going to happen. Because he knows that they're supposed to be worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. He said, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David, those in Judah. He said, if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, okay, uh, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Do you hear that paranoia in there? Because I'm going to go back. He knows when they go back home to the place where they know, their home church, that place, they're going to go back and be faithful again. And he's kind of being paranoid about that. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Who do you think he got advice from on that deal? <laughs> we talked about that in class. Like, how do you, don't you learn your lesson? Can you, can you call up Aaron and ask how that went? Uh, but he made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Don't burden yourself with that. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. He must have called Aaron and asked, what did you say exactly? Because that's what he said here. Uh, making these golden calves. Here are your gods. And there's no mistake in what's going on here, right? These aren't just ornaments. They're not just... Uh, uh, these are your gods. And that's what we're doing here, idol worship. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. And this is a picture of... And I know that's kind of small. Uh, I have blown it up there. But there's Israel in the north... Uh, Judah, so Israel here, Judah right here. And it says that uh, Jeroboam set up a sanctuary in Bethel and also in Dan. Now, Dan is so far north. When I visited that in 2017, you get up to Dan and you start running into chain link fences that have warning signs on them about minefields if you go over that because you're on the border, Okay. And nobody died because nobody jumped that fence. I'll tell you that while I was there. Uh, but one of the things, I, again, I was in this study during the spring semester. I went in May to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden we're walking up, and we see the site Jeroboam set up. 
one of the most amazing things I have seen. This is us walking up to uh, the place that Jeroboam set up. And you can see this metal thing they've erected. This is probably what it looked like. But you see all the stones? This is, this is what he did. And so all of a sudden, like I said, I'm, I'm standing there going, oh, my gracious. I'm here. I'm seeing this. I'm not reading about it. I'm looking at it. And so I've got just a couple of pictures. This is just to the, the left of what you just saw, just so you can see exactly what Jeroboam set up. This guy forgot that we take pictures. <laughs> he might have been one. You know, we had a few people from Houston. I, I, you may know this guy. I don't know. And this is a, this is a wider shot. of So you can see, remember Jeroboam, what, when I told you about in Scripture, if you see, and they sacrificed on the high places. That's, all, that's almost always idol worship. Sometimes it's not, but most of the time it is. Do you see the, the mountains in the background? Do you see the view? I mean, they set these up to where, you know, this was the place. This was special. And so this is what uh, I hope that's, that's helpful as we, we talk about this. This is the furthest north. And so I don't have to go south to Jerusalem. I can just go right here. There's no reason for me to go to Sam's Club because uh, in, in where is it? Channel View? I've got H-E-B, right? And so I don't, there's no reason to go there and buy 20 packs of toilet paper at once. And, and so this was all a part, this was all in the same area. I showed you this picture a few weeks ago. This is, uh, this is where Abraham probably walked through this gate. They filled it in with dirt now just to make it stable. But this was a city gate. Abraham probably walked through this to go and find Lot. This would be in the same direction that he would walk out of the city uh, to go see Lot. And again, you can kind of see the brickwork. And, and I think I made the joke that you can touch this, but you better not because those guides uh, are making sure you don't touch it. And we had somebody in our group that wanted to touch it. I mean, come on, 4,000 years of history right there. But just around the corner from where Jeroboam set this up, you see the city gate. And you see this, uh, this is all going into the city center. And so you have had these rock walls that you would have had to walk by. And if you could have looked to the right right here, there's a, a corridor that goes into, you have to pass by these people. The, the judges may have sat here as people came through. Uh, but this uh, to the right there is you would be walking in from the direction we just saw. And you would, you would see all of this and kind of going into the city center. And so Jeroboam took advantage of all of these things and said, you know what, you can worship these idols here. And there's one more. Uh, I'll just leave it, leave it right there. But when we talk about this story specifically, and I think sometimes in the Old Testament, we can uh, really almost have our eyes glaze over and ask the question, what do we do with this now? But the main, the main topic about this is not, you know, whether we are Israel or Judah or all the things that went on between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But, but the main point, the main topic within this story is about division. Division within followers of God. Anybody think that division is a good thing? No? There's a couple of scriptures that we have. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And that's the Apostle Paul talking there. Remember Jesus on the night he, was, he knew he was going to the cross, he prayed a prayer that we sometimes call the unity prayer. 
all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, and at that moment in his life, this is what he prayed. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be what? One, as we are one. He said, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction so that scripture could be fulfilled against Judas. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have them uh, the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus prays for protection for his followers. For his followers not to divide and not to always be against each other, but to come together in a oneness of mind. And sometimes I think we read that and think like we all have to think exactly the same thing about everything because we're so literal about what it says there. That if you name a topic and we better all agree on that. How many of you are married and know that's impossible? <laughs> it just is, right? I mean, sometimes we're so literal we forget that, you know, to actually think about it. It's just not possible. And so Jesus is obviously talking about something bigger and really more encompassing than all of our little arguments we get into. And in churches of Christ, we have them, don't we? We're not unique in that. But you think about all the, all the things we squabble over. And we divide over. Uh, just in this area, we have a, a lot of churches that are still wrestling with, do we have classrooms? Because the Bible doesn't mention it. That's a way of, uh, it's a hermeneutic, which is a study, a way you study the Bible. Uh, and I would say that's incorrect. But I, d I don't throw them out because they believe that. Okay? There are some churches of Christ that have already gone through instrumental uh, worship, which is not traditional for us, and they've decided, yeah, the Bible doesn't say anything about that, and so they've accepted instrumental worship, and I don't throw them out because we don't have it. Jesus prayed for unity, and we better err on the side of unity a lot of times with this. We better look at our brothers and sisters and not, not try to find fault, but try to find connections. The way I was raised in church, I thought that anyone who worshiped in a place that didn't have Church of Christ on it was so far away from me that we had nothing in common. And then I worked with some people, some ladies at the bank who went to the Baptist church and the Holiness church, maybe even a Methodist in there somewhere, and realized there's not much we are real different on. And it was a real time in my life that I had to wrestle with that. Because everything I had been taught said that we were just so different uh, and we needed to reject everything else that I couldn't, couldn't fathom an Episcopalian like, like Bo there. <laughs> and I married a Baptist girl. But Jesus calls for unity, doesn't he? We have the opportunity and, and culture will push us to really pick those battles and to you uh, be you so much that... that there's no community left. It's you need to have your own thoughts and we just divide from that. Our, I mentioned our political landscape you know, periodically and, and that's just, 
uh, exhibit A for how much we can divide because those people don't have anything to do or anything like me where I am. And that's just not correct. And that's the same with Scripture as we read it, as we come to it. But Jesus prayed for unity for a reason because he knew we would be drawn apart. In this story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, what you see is, again, this, uh, this place that had been admired for a while because God had taken this, this group of, remember, slaves. They had landed in this promised land, and they had grown so much. They had a military that, that people admired. And, and their biggest enemy was not the outside threat, but the one standing and sitting in the chairs within the community. And that can be the case here, too. That if we are not united, that we will be divided. That if I come here just to decide, uh, if I don't get my way, I'm gone, well, we will divide and we will be much less powerful in this community. We will not achieve the things we want to achieve and think that, uh, that God uh, will get what, what we want or he wants us to have here in this place either. And so we come together. We bless our children. We pledge to be there for each other. In great times and joyous times, we rejoice together. In times of wrestling, in times of heartache, we come and we pray together. We mourn together. But we've got to do it together. This church has so many possibilities in front of it. It feels at times like the future and, and what we have planned is so far away that I can't even imagine what it's going to look like. But I don't, I don't think about that in fear. I think about that in kind of an awe and wonder. Kind of, God, what are you going to do here in this place? But all God needs is people to say yes to him. Are you going to say yes to him, church? because that's what he wants. He wants our participation. He wants our availability. He wants our prioritization to be about him and his church and not about all the things, all the pursuits, all the things we chase out in the world. It's easy to split. It's easy to divide. One of the things that I, I love when, when young people, well, sometimes I'm, uh, I'm a little uh, upset when young people have really good perspectives because I'm like, why didn't I think about that? <laughs> I have more life in me, you know, you should not have thought about that. But one of the things when I went to Harding, um, I don't remember which class it was, but one of the, I remember one particular class where a, a kid said, one of the biggest differences I've seen, and they were from up north, not the Bible Belt, see what I'm saying? Not a, not a church on every corner. He said, one of the biggest things I have seen, the differences is, it seems like, now this is, may not always be true, but it seems like, our churches, our congregations are willing to stay and fight and work out things because there's not a church on the next corner. I'm not going to have to drive an hour and a half to the next congregation. And so that person's perspective, and I agree with them from what I have seen. It may not be true for you, but so often we're more of the Burger King. I want to have it my way, and I want to have it right now that I'm not interested in you as long as we disagree on something. We have a cancel culture in this, uh, in this part of the world that I don't even understand. That Christians would be so willing to look at their brother or sister and say, I'm done with you. 
because we're supposed to be about reconciliation. We serve a God that is all about reconciliation. Have you seen that in the story thus far? God has a plan. He creates a perfect place. We mess it up. God doesn't throw us all out. He says, okay, we're going to adjust, and we're going to give you this, and I'm going to try and live with you this way, and we mess it up, and God changes. He said, okay, let's do it this way, and he keeps on going, wanting that reconciliation. And then here we are, people that, because we disagree on something, I've got to be done with you, and I've got to leave you alone. You have this idea about this issue in church, and I don't want any more to do with you. And so when you cut those ties, when you burn those bridges, you're doing something that, that God, the God you say you serve, does not do. Because when you do those things, it makes reconciliation that much harder. You ever had a blow up with somebody? It went too far. You know you said the wrong thing. You know they said the wrong thing. You overreacted. But because you went that far, it makes coming back together so much harder, even though you know you're wrong. Right? You ever experienced that? And so we need to think about this as we move forward as a church, that we walk together, that we, we're not going to always agree. Um, my wife and I, y'all may be surprised, don't always agree. I'm always right, but we don't <laughs> always agree. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Uh, I've worked hard to achieve that. Um, but as a church, man, we serve a wonderful, awesome God, as we sang about earlier today. Amen? Amen. So we need to live lives. We need to make sure the church is representative of exactly the kind of God that we serve. This morning, we're going to offer an invitation. We'd like to... Uh, pray with you as we prayed over our kids. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. If you haven't begun that walk with him, you need to be baptized this morning. We can do that as well. Uh, would you come as we stand and as we sing?